0: I remember Peter talking recently about evangelism. He said that one of the missing pieces in when we're seeking to communicate the gospel to people is listening. And I think one of the things that, uh, that is important for us to do often is listen and listen to different voices um, talking about their experience of God. Uh, quite often we enjoy hearing someone's personal story So now we're going to hear the personal story of Bill. uh, And uh, it's uh, pretty inspiring.
1: My name is William Dumas. I come to the Lord about 1981. And my transformation is that Jesus came into my life in jail. So back in the day, in Redfern, I used to be a real kid that was in trouble and always running away from the police because I used to do a lot of stealing, snatching bags, rolling people, drugs, alcohol, stealing cars. I got caught for drunk driving twice and I went to Long Bay Jail and um, I met a Christian there, was a pretty funny Christian. He came up with this statement, Um, Jesus is coming soon so I didn't understand that terminology or that way of of words but something began to ring into my heart and my mind those very words and later on I discovered it was the Holy Spirit speaking to me I began to walk in such a free way and and only the Lord could do that and ever since then I've been preaching the gospel way things are in our world today. I think we need unity now. We need to show that oneness in John chapter 17. You know that we come together in unity. Come in oneness. The western culture always thinks with their mind in the academic system. The indigenous people more think about what they see. What they feel. And they very much sensitive to the spiritual environment. But one day the Lord spoke to me and the Holy Spirit said to me that because we've got two different cultures, like European and indigenous, but we're all spirit beings. And the Lord really spoke to me about was this, that everyone is created in the image of God. So everybody has the ability to know the spirit environment, the spirit world, because God you know, it says they that worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So it's important that we learn from each other. You know, the black and white piano, you have to play it together. And if you don't play those two keys, you get disharmony. And I think it's time that we've got to learn from each other, walk beside each other, not behind each other, not in front of each other, but beside each other. Because when you walk beside each other, you hear each other's conversation better, and that creates unity and oneness and relationship.
0: It's a great story, isn't it? Uh, Marion's now going to lead us in a word of prayer, and I think Susan might help her out with the microphone.
2: Let us pray. What a joy it is, Lord, to come into your presence this morning to worship and praise you for your everlasting love. What peace it gives to each one of us as we lift up our hearts to you in songs of praise and come before you with our prayers of thanksgiving for your grace and your mercy. We ask your blessing on this day that your love, that our love for you and for others will grow and be full to overflowing, that we will know your will for our lives and be committed to it. Lord, you are our sole shelter. We thank you for the times you have carried us through troubles that could have overwhelmed us. And for times we have cried out to you, and you have answered our prayers. We thought there was no way out, you made a way. We praise you for your amazing peace. There are many of us here this morning whose names are on our hearts, who need to feel your loving presence in their lives. We especially lift up to you, Narelle and her family, as they grieve for their mother Gwen, a much-loved member of our church family, and she is now with her Lord. Heavenly Father, teach us how to reach out with your love to those in need. Give us eyes to see those that are hurting, a heart to help them and your strength to do your work in this world. Please guide and bless us each time you call us to love our neighbour as we work together. Never let us forget that it is you working through us that accomplishes your will. Apart from you, we can do nothing. So we ask that your Holy Spirit will fill our lives and use them for advancement of your kingdom. Lord of compassion, we intercede for the millions around our globe who are suffering in so many ways from economic issues, disease, warfare and persecution. Persecution and much more. We know that Jesus was familiar with suffering. He took on our pain and carried our afflictions. Speak to those who are afflicted in our world. Deliver those who are suffering and give them relief from their turmoil. Use us, Father, to be your hands. We lift up to you, Andrew and Oksana and the YWAM team and their dedication and commitment, along with many others, to the people of the Ukraine. We pray for the time that your peace and justice will be a reality for all people throughout the world. We pray that your grace will be sufficient for the trials we face as a nation, and that each one of us will trust you as our sovereign God. Still on the throne and working things out according to your plan, may we always, may you always be our refuge and our strength. In Jesus' name, Amen.
3: Okay going to call the team back to sing the next song the team is here yes (laughs) the team's here Uh, so the next song is called what a friend we have in Jesus so that's uh, one that everyone knows and we just have to to remember that whatever the circumstances if we ever feel lonely you could just go back to Jesus and he can carry all um, our fears all our challenges and uh, is where we actually find ultimate peace Thank you. Please stand. What a friend we have in Jesus! All our sins and griefs to them. to die
0: everyone have a seat. Isn't that the truth? It's a very popular song, I'm told, in the Aboriginal communities around uh, around Australia. So sometimes it's tempting to listen to a preacher and quietly ask yourself, what would he know? So I thought I might help a little bit to share something about my personal journey before I lead into my message today. Uh, Many of us have have had little to do with Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander peoples. Sometimes we will have met somebody or worked with them without actually knowing that they're an Aboriginal person or a Torres Strait Islander person. And certainly my journey of awareness of the lives of um, our Indigenous people was often a slow one and often affected by misunderstandings Uh, The first person I met who I knew was an Aboriginal person was Bob Belair, who was a fellow law student. Bob was a fantastic bloke. He was highly respected. He'd um, been a merchant seaman for many years. He was a a key leader in the Aboriginal community, helped set up the Aboriginal Medical Service. Um, And he ultimately became a barrister and then a judge in the district court. And uh, I learned a lot from Bob. Sadly, many of the next people I met who were Aboriginal were people that I represented in court as a lawyer. And then, uh, more recently, when I became a magistrate, I had to deal particularly with young people who were charged with committing criminal offences, and also had to deal with families where it was suggested that the parents, parent or parents, were unable to take care of the children. Uh, Sadly, at this time, it meant that I had to do some pretty drastic things, like sending someone to jail or ordering that a child be removed from a family. I've also had the good fortune to meet strong Aboriginal leaders, Uh, community leaders, lawyers, judges, magistrates, police, Christian workers, and I believe that through these experiences, God has called me to have a particular concern about seeking justice and healing for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Australians. And for reconciliation amongst all Australians. So that's what's got me going today. Bit of a shift. Who's been involved in a planning session where you've tried to work out a mission statement? There will have been a few, I'm sure. And... The Commonwealth Bank's got a mission statement. The Bible Society's got a mission statement. Habitat for Humanity's got a mission statement. And a mission statement is meant to convey the organisation's purpose. It's meant to uh, set out what the objectives are. It also conveys its thoughts and goals uh, to people who might wonder about this organisation. And it also seeks to identify who you serve and how you're going to do it, usually, but in simple terms. One of God's mission statements is to bring justice to the world. We hear this strong theme through the Old Testament prophets. Too often they were talking about justice and they were pointing out injustice. Injustice. In Amos, as we heard earlier, God tells the people that their worship is meaningless and offensive unless there's justice. Micah tells us that worship that God requires involves justice, mercy, and humility. Jesus had a mission statement. In Luke chapter 4, verses 14 to 30, we hear these words. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Then he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. "'Isn't this Joseph's son?' they asked. Jesus said to them, "'Surely you will quote this proverb to me, "'Physician, heal yourself, and you will tell me, "'Do here in your hometown what we've heard you did in Capernaum. "'Truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. "'I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time, "'when the sky was shut for three and a half years.' and there was severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath, in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha, the prophet. Yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. So that passage reads like a mission statement. Jesus introduces his ministry. This is one of the first times he actually preaches. He introduces his ministry by telling people that he's the fulfillment of the prophecy that's found in Isaiah 61. Jesus' message is that he has come to bring liberation from the grinding effects of poverty, from being locked up, from the inability to see, and from all forms of oppression. And Jesus' justice wasn't courtroom justice. I I can make decisions about what's happened in a case. I can determine guilty or not guilty, responsible or not responsible. I can make orders that are meant to bring some compensation, I can make orders that are meant to involve punishment. But Jesus' justice and God's justice is more holistic than that. It involves healing, it involves restoration, it involves reconciliation, which is beyond the legal system in its reach. The early church was also seeking to follow the mission of Jesus. And one thing that was very important to them was the care of the vulnerable people in their community. Uh, One of the things that happened to Christians, particularly Christians who were poor, is that they got cut off from sources of support. If they became a Christian, the charity and the material assistance that came from the synagogue and from the Jewish leaders was cut off to them. So it was important that the early church took care of its own people. And in Acts we see a quite interesting example of how that practical care occurred. So Acts chapter 6 verses 1 to 6. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So, Hellenistic, it talks about Hellenistic Jews. These were the Jews of Greek ethnic background. And the Hebraic Jews were the Jews of Jewish ethnic background because there were many people involved in the uh, in the early church, and the Hebraic Jews were very much the largest group of converts to to Christianity. So the early church was seeking to faithfully follow this mission of God. But even in the early church, some of the old divisions and differences still operated. Nothing I've read suggested that there was any deliberate neglect of the Hellenistic, the Greek, widows. But it does seem that perhaps those responsible for providing practical care maybe didn't even know people from the Greek part of the church community and didn't really understand their needs, couldn't identify their needs well enough to take proper care of them and to hear their concerns. Now we wouldn't recognise it from this parish from this passage, sorry. But all of the seven who were selected, well, they're all blokes, but they're all Greek. They're all from a Greek background. So what I deduce from this is that the church listened to the people who were suffering, listened to the voice of the people who had been neglected. They wanted to address that need, they appointed, as the passage said, people full of the spirit and wisdom who had the capacity to hear the needs of the people and do something about it. And this then enabled the church leaders to get on with what they identified as their key tasks, prayer and ministry of the word. I think it's fascinating that bit about they didn't want to wait on tables, but we'll leave that to another, another time. Um, But it does seem to me here that there's a model for us in the church and a model for the world about how you listen to people, how you look to care for them, and the best people often to provide care are those people who know how to hear, who understand the background of the people. In Australia, there's discussion about a voice to Parliament. There's discussion about treaties, there's discussion about a truth-telling process. That won't provide the complete answer for Aboriginal people. It won't provide the complete justice that they need. As followers of Jesus, though, I think we're called to give serious consideration to whether these steps are part of the answer of justice whether these steps are part of God's plan for our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander brothers and sisters. There's going to be a referendum about the voice to Parliament later in the year. There will be different views about it. All I will do is urge you to very seriously and prayerfully think about what that proposal means. One thing that I'm convinced about one thing that I would hope we would all agree upon is that we need to listen to our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and particularly our Christian brothers and sisters who are part of those peoples. Here are three voices that are really worth listening to.
1: Even here in Sydney, Melbourne, you look at the church, you're just going to ask one question, even here in Sydney, Melbourne, wherever you are, is that the church has been in my country for that, that many years. I mean, you're here in Glebe, and if you understand that the word Glebe in French means land that has been given to the church or gifted to the church. And so when Johnson came here... Richard Johnson, the first minister, he got some 400 acres. And so we're living in that particular gifting of that land. But it wasn't his land in the first place.
4: One of the difficulties that the church has uh, in our day and age is to fess up, really, uh, at the end of the day whether or not we like it God had entrusted uh, the custodianship of these these lands to our indigenous people the British broke their own laws to colonise this country and this land was taken from our people and when when you want to talk to the wider church about some of these issues They tend to feel guilty about it. And no one wants anyone to feel guilty about it. But what we want them to do is acknowledge the truth that the land that their churches are built on was not given to them by God. It was taken. One of the sadnesses that I have is
5: that People just don't understand the pain. The pain that our people have suffered for such a long time, nearly 250 years. I don't like that people want to move on and ask me and my people to just get over it, forgive and forget. How disrespectful. How totally not understanding to not realise that my well-being is caught up with and impacted by the stories of the past. That my nation's story is unfinished unless we go back and listen and find out and sit with the grief and the pain and the injustice of the past unless we understand that the context that we're living with today as Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, the struggle is totally connected with the injustices of the past. I thank God for his whole entire concept of forgiveness and his whole concept of reconciliation, but I have never, ever found in God's Word or when God's Spirit has breathed his Word on my life that we should forget that we should stop remembering or that we should
4: silence. I think that's what Aboriginal people want the church to do, is to say, yeah, we have benefited greatly as a result of the dispossession of Aboriginal people from their lands. And I think that's the starting point. And I think the bigger issue is much more difficult, the bigger question is much more difficult uh, to to try and get answers to. And that is, what do we do from this point? And I think, at the end of the day, it's whatever they do needs to be done relationally. You know, them sitting down with Aboriginal people um, in communities and having a conversation.
5: And then from that, from the sitting in great loyal compassion and great mercy and peace and love and care, that from that point that we could become friends, reconciled with each other.
6: it's not easy it's not easy to listen to the pain and the hurt of others <clears throat> we do want to move on from it we want to temp, it's so tempting to want to focus on the future we don't want to be reminded of past failures but at the heart of the christian message is an acknowledgment that we acknowledge that there is pain there is suffering at the heart of our message there is the cross of jesus There is no reconciliation with God without acknowledging the pain and suffering that is a part of our human condition. The path to reconciliation always starts with truth-telling. Truth-telling does not hide from the past, but recognises it as a starting point for a new way forward. We've been asked today by our Aboriginal brothers and sisters to acknowledge two truths. Um, That before we received this land, it was taken from others. And that the struggles of Aboriginal people today are connected to the pain and injustice of the past. Those acknowledgements are what lies at the heart of what makes it possible to move closer to what we know is God's will. Those acknowledgements are the starting point of reconciliation, of transformation. So past failures can become the starting point for new life. know from the Bible that God's will is for all people to live together in peace for every person to count. We know that God's plan is for unity, wholeness within our diversity. But we also know we are far from unity at this moment, that we are struggling as a nation to work out how to make reconciliation more than just a distant dream. But there is a movement for change. And we'll be hearing a lot in the coming year about different approaches that will make it possible for the voices of all people, Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal, to be heard in the decision-making processes as a country. How can we be sure that there is a way for different perspectives and from quite different cultures to be heard, quite different approaches to things? How can we be a nation where people come together from different spaces to respectfully listen to each other and discern the way forward? This is not a political issue, though it will be played out in the political arena. This is a justice issue. How can justice roll out across our land? So two questions for us as individuals. Am I prepared to be part of the process of reconciliation and to be open to acknowledge the past? And the second question, am I prepared to consider different ways that the voices of Aboriginal people can be heard when decisions are made that affect Aboriginal people? We're coming now to a time of prayer, time to reflect and communicate with God about these questions. You should have, I hope, somewhere near you, a, a paper hand, a symbol of reconciliation. Um, and I invite you to hold a hand as we as we pray. And I, if anyone hasn't got one, I think there are some more ones. at. Has anyone not got a... Yeah, Nareet doesn't have one. Oh, no, has got one. That's great. Everyone's got one. So, so hold one in, in your hand at this point. And so... Let us pray. God, we do want justice to flow. We do want reconciliation. Help us not to be overwhelmed by the enormity of the task of bringing in justice and reconciliation, because that's your job, God. But you need each of us to play our part in the thoughts we think, in the conversations we have, in the actions we take. You've told us to wear your armour when spreading the gospel of peace. Help us to be your agent, wearing the belt of truth, with feet ready to take steps in the gospel of peace and reconciliation. Lord, we see in our hands a hand that represents reconciliation. Help me to be open to do what you want me to do. Help that to be everyone's prayer today. Please guide our thinking and our actions so that we can work with you to do justice and to be a reconciler. We ask this in the name of Jesus, the great reconciler. Amen. Before our next song, which is our closing song, you have the opportunity, if you want to do so, to show your commitment to reconciliation. If you are prepared to acknowledge the past and express your openness to consider new ways for Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal people to move forward together, you can add your hand to our reconciliation picture. The meeting place symbol, which stretches out and allows ways in by lots of different people into a process, is what something you can add your hand to. So as the Band takes its place. Um, you can just bring up, or pass up if you want to get someone else to bring it up, your hand, and Susan and David can add them to the picture as we sing our final song. Our final song was actually written by Jeff Bullock uh, back in 1992, but Jeff has been very happy to approve some slight changes to the lyrics, that, um, these, some slight changes that were made by Aboriginal Christians. He now says it better expresses for all Christians, Aboriginal and non Aboriginal, what it means to be the great South Land of the Holy Spirit, God's nation and God's land, a sacred place that is our home. So let's stand, bring up your hands if you'd like to have them added to the to the to the banner and we will get the band to start a singing. Thank you.
3: Thank
0: Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Go out into your lives, into your world, whether you're here, whether you're with us, digitally from whatever part of the world, go out into the world, into God's world, and be people of truth. Go out into God's world and be people of love. Go out in the confidence that God the Father, Jesus the Liberator, and the Holy Spirit who empowers goes with you. Amen.